That beautiful gospel that I just read for you, 18 verses of the opening chapter of St. John's Gospel is perhaps some of the most powerful words in the New Testament. It's referred to often as the prologue to John's Gospel. Because like a, uh, a great overture before a musical that recaps some of the principal themes and melodies of that musical, St. John's prologue reviews for us the meat of the gospel of what it means to hear and to know the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. These 18 verses have always received special recognition from the Christian church. In the ancient liturgies of the church, as people would gather together to celebrate and to worship God, it was very common for this, these words to be read every Sunday at the closing of the liturgy, after communion, and before the people left the assembly to go out into the world to bear witness to that gospel. So it's also been referred to as the last gospel because it was the last proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that echoed in the ears of the faithful as they went out to live the gospel. Chronologically, it's also the last gospel because it was the last one written by the evangelist appointed by God to record the good news of salvation. John wrote the words that you just heard proclaimed before you sometime between 90 and 100 A.D., the end of the first century of the Christian gospel. Before 70 A.D., all of the other apostles were dead. They had given their life as witness to, the, to that gospel and had gladly embraced death to show their faithfulness to that gospel and their refusal to compromise it, but to live it faithfully. During that period of time, many attempts were made on the life of John, and all of them failed. For at the last moment, when they thought they had John and they were going to be able to kill him and to silence the words of the gospel, through God's grace, he managed to slip out of their grip. And he lived into the second century of the Christian church. Think of that. John, who came as the youngest of the apostles, the teenage brother of James, 
and was witness to all of the gospel and was given a special place by Jesus Christ of witnessing and hearing and seeing all of the proclamation of the gospel. John was also chosen and protected by God so that he would be the last living eyewitness to the gospel. And so when John prepared to write his gospel, he wrote from a different perspective. And these were the words that he chose to begin his gospel, the prologue that you just heard read today. There is a very interesting admonition from Paul, the great Jewish rabbi, when he wrote to Timothy to encourage him in faithfulness to the gospel and to use all of the revelation that God had given us in preparation for the gospel. In the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, the third chapter, this is what he tells Timothy and what he tells us. All of Scripture, all of Scripture is God-breathed, is inspired by God. And it is useful and necessary for teaching, for admonishing, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. All of Scripture, he says, is God-breathed. Now, I want you to realize that when Paul wrote these words and instructed his people there was no New Testament yet. It was still being lived. There were the writings of the other apostles and there were the letters that Paul would continue to write. But the New Testament was still taking form and shape. And all the converts to the New Testament, those Gentiles who came from a different tradition, were instructed in the Old Testament scriptures because they foretold of the coming of the Messiah. And Paul says that those are very important to us. And it's important for us to realize that now, if we're going to understand the full impact of what John said in his prologue to us this morning. Because scripture repeated itself in John. You'll remember in the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, the opening books of Scripture, there is a book that bears the interesting name Deuteronomy. The meaning of that word is a second telling a review. And you may recall that Deuteronomy was written by Moses at the end of the 40-year journey through the wilderness in preparation for entering the promised land. 
And God had already made it known to Moses that he himself personally would not enter the promised land. That his witness was finished and it was time for him to turn over that responsibility to his young lieutenant Joshua. And Joshua would actually lead them into the promised land. But Moses was inspired by God to review all of the experiences that they had had in their long journey and even before in the history of man's, God's revelation of himself to man. And the book of Deuteronomy was a retelling of this experience and a preparing for them to understand what they had gone through, what they had experienced, and how they must be faithful to all of the challenges that lie ahead of them. In the same way, John, now an old man, realizing that he was the last living eyewitness to the gospel and that he would soon surely die, was called to write a gospel, to write his recollection of the good news of salvation. And his gospel stands in stark contrast to the other two gospels, other three gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke. All of which provided for the Christian converts a history of Jesus' revelation of himself, his teaching, his miracles, and his challenges to us to accept and to live the Gospel. And each of the gospel has its own characterization and it has its own specialty that makes it very precious to us. Yet as we read those three gospels, they almost come together in our mind and it's hard for us sometimes to realize the thought that comes to us in our prayer, is this out of Matthew or is it out of Mark or is it out of Luke? And we have to look it up because they all come together for us like a giant puzzle to fit intimately together and to give us the entire overview of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew begins his gospel by giving us a genealogy of Jesus Christ going all the way back to Adam and Eve and showing how that un broken line of begots brought Jesus the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah into this world and gave us that relationship. Matthew also gives us a look at the miraculous birth of Jesus and how it fulfilled the great prophecies of ancient times. Mark wrote his gospel with the emphasis on the preaching of the gospel. And so he begins his gospel with Jesus stepping down into the waters of the Jordan 
to be baptized by John and to be certified by the voice of God and to begin collecting his disciples and teaching his gospel and working his way towards the cross where he would surrender his life as a proof of God's love for you and for me. Luke had a very interesting gospel, and it's one that's close to all of us because it contains some things that are not found in the other two gospels. From the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ, before he died, entrusted his mother to the care of John, the writer of the fourth gospel. And in his gospel, John tells us that he fully understood what Jesus was saying to him from the cross. And he took that as a very important assignment from his Lord and Savior. And he took Mary into his home and he cared for her. Some of the other writings of the early church fill in some other information and tell us that as John's workload got heavier and heavier and Mary got older and older and needs special care, he called in a special friend of his, a doctor, Dr. Luke, to care for Mary in her twilight years. And in those years, so distantly removed from the events of the incarnation, Mary was able to recall in Luke's presence the precious memories of a mother who, yes, was the mother of the Savior, of the Messiah, but more than that was the physical mother of Jesus Christ, her baby, her son. And she was able to recall precious memories of his birth. So Luke begins his gospel with a heavenly proclamation from a messenger sent by God. First to Zechariah to tell him of the birth of John who will be the herald of Jesus, and then to Mary to ask her if she would submit to God's plan, not knowing all of the sacrifice she would have to endure to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. And she shares the precious memory and difficulty of his birth and of his presentation in the temple and the prophecies that she heard, prophecies that filled her with joy and prophecies that filled her with pain as she was told how much physical pain and suffering she would have to endure to see her son rejected by the world which he came to save and all the other precious memories that were hers that are unique to Luke. So each of them have some special feature, but most of all, they all give us the outline of Jesus' three years of his public life, his teaching, his miracles, and call us to be faithful 
to them. And they're all so similar that we refer to them as the synoptic gospels. They're almost images one of another, with each one adding another little picture to the puzzle that gives us the full outline of Jesus' life. So this was known to the Christian church when John sat down to write his gospel. And so God inspired him like he did Moses, knowing that his life would soon end and give him the chance to give us the benefit of that eyewitness and how he had seen that gospel come alive and change the lives of people and change the course of history and change kingdoms. And so John gives us a special theological gospel that doesn't follow so much a chronological outline as it does the themes of Jesus' teachings and what they mean to you and to me and how we are called to live into them and to be faithful to them. And with that same mindset that Moses had, John in his gospel does not start with the birth of Jesus. John transports us back before the dawn of time. And he uses the words of Moses himself in writing the book of Genesis when he tells of God's desire to create the world. And he says, as we had just heard from the gospel, in the beginning... Jesus Christ did not begin with his birth in Bethlehem, but he is part of the Godhead. He is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And from the beginning of time, in God's knowledge of how man was going to screw up his life and be in need of a Savior and a Redeemer, Jesus Christ existed from the time of creation and his relationship to us was as God's word, God's promise given to us of a redeemer that we would need and whom we needed to recognize and to accept. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right from the beginning. And as God, he made everything that exists. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And he was light. He came to bring life and a life that would bring light and to dispel the darkness. What beautiful, poetic words he gives us. And then the reality. Yet, even though the world was made by him, the world rejected him. And even though he came to die for his own people, his own people would not accept him. But all who do accept him as Lord and Savior, 
He gives the power to be children of God. That's where we come in. That's you and me. Those of us who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ and have made the determination to live that gospel, we have the power to become God's children. That's who we are. And that's what John wants us to know. And this gospel is read to us on the last Sunday of every year. Just like Moses with Deuteronomy, then John with his, with his prologue reviews all of these things for us and brings us into focus of where we are now and who we are called to be and what we must make the determination to do. God calls us to this. And here we are on the last Sunday of the year looking at who we are and what God has done for us. Next Sunday, we're going to open a whole new season in the church year. It's called Epiphany, another good two-bit Greek word that means manifestation or understanding or realization or aha, I get it. And at Epiphany, we are reminded that we are called now in our time, in our life, in our world to be the witnesses to Jesus Christ. During the prayers to open our worship together, Tyler reminded us that we are gospel people and that we are called to share the gospel with others. And what John is telling us today is before you can share it, you must be it. You must accept that gospel for yourself and be prepared to live it and to share it with others. Next Sunday is a new beginning. Today is a conclusion of all that is past, a fresh new slate. There are people in our congregation who were here on the last Sunday of 2011 who are not living among us any longer. They have been called by God to conclude their witness and to come to the kingdom. On the last Sunday of 2013, some of you who are sitting right here this morning will no longer be among us. You will have been called to live in to that reward that God has for you. So there is a certain urgency that comes with today's challenge. None of us know how much time we have. And Jesus says, don't lose any sleep over it. Simply make a determination to be faithful, to live the gospel, to share it with all that you meet because our job has not changed in 2,100 years. We're still called 
in our own time, in our own land, in our own situation to share the gospel with all that we meet. There is an urgency that we need to feel this morning. And with the blessings that God will give us in this time of worship to go out those doors at the conclusion of this service to look for the opportunities to do that. Amen? Amen. Amen.